Acts chapter 11, verse number 26. I'm not sure how long it will be tonight. I assume it will be relatively short, but this message has been eating at my heart for some time. And now that we're done with the month of stewardship, I felt a good opportunity to preach this. Acts chapter 11, verse number 26. The Bible says, And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. It came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll begin. Lord, I pray tonight that you would work through me. Lord, I pray that this message will have already marinated in my heart and spoken to me and changed me and impacted me. I pray that I would not hypocritically be preaching this message and expecting it to change others while myself uh, not being willing to change. And so, Lord, I pray that it already have done that to me. And, Lord, I feel that it has. I also pray tonight that every person in this room will give the undivided attention, not because I deserve it, Lord, but because your word deserves it. Lord, you gave us some amazing guidance in this book if we'll just be willing to open our hearts and listen to what you have to say. Lord, please do a work in our hearts, do a work in our presence tonight. And I pray with everything that is in me and with every bit of faith that I can muster that not a single person would leave this room being unaffected. Lord, I pray that you do this in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. I'm about to share something with you I have never shared with anybody else in my life. Publicly, I will proclaim to you today that I no longer want to be a Christian. I am tired of being identified with a group of people who is so lukewarm and so cold-hearted to everything that is Christian. I'm tired of looking on Facebook and seeing some of the filthiest, vulgar language, seeing some of the most downtrodden, nastiest locations that a person could ever be found. And where is that? Oh, it's my Christian brother there. I'm tired of people living a lie. Let's be honest. We're fake. Reality is, we ain't real. We look nothing like the Savior. We look nothing like what he would expect of us or what he wants us to become. We're not pursuing any grander heights of what the relationship is with him. It's almost like we throw it into neutral once we've arrived. I don't care how big this building is. I don't care how pretty these bricks are. I don't care we have a a $1,000 chandelier hanging in the front. We ain't achieved nothing. To the world... We are a joke, but I'm not laughing. A poll was taken on abcnews.com. Fifty different responses were received from this poll, uh, not saying that it was only 50 people that were polled, but this poll received 50 different responses, citing any type of religion from complete agnostic to Zen Buddhist. 83% of Americans identify themselves as Christians. 13 claim to have no religion, and that left just 4% for all other world religions combined. The largest group within the ranks of American Protestants is unaffiliated. 
19% of Americans say they're Protestant, but don't cite a specific denomination. They account for more than a third of all Protestants. Another 15% of Americans identify themselves as Baptist or Southern Baptist, meaning that these two groups combined account for nearly 3 in 10 Protestants. No other denomination comes close in size. Baptists are especially pre prevalent among black Americans. Nearly half of every black person, 48%, say they are Baptist, making it by far and away the number one denomination. Among whites, 22% are Catholic, another 22% are non-affiliated Protestants, and 13% are Baptist. You remember that passage in the Bible where God tells Mo, uh, Abraham that he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? And Abraham begins to almost negotiate with God. He says, God, if I could just find a few people, Lord, just make it 50 people. If I could just find 50 people who, who, were, who were what you want them to be, who had faith, if I could just find 50 righteous people, God says, I would not destroy the city if you could find that many. Abraham begins to think, and he realizes that I probably couldn't find 50. He says, Lord, what about 20 people? Lord, what if I found 20 righteous people, uh, righteous men, in all the city of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah? Lord, would you then still destroy the city? And God says, no, I would not destroy the city in that case. Abraham then reevaluates the negotiations, and he says, what if I can't find 20? He goes, Lord, what if I can only find 10 men? What if 10 righteous men are living in the city? Are you going to destroy a city and kill those 10 men? Lord, what if I can find just 10 men? And God says, I wouldn't destroy it. The problem is, Abraham couldn't find 10. And I'll be honest with you, if I began negotiations with God tonight, I don't believe I could find 13. 13% of Americans say they are not only Christian, but they are Baptist. But the religion we got ain't working. It's not changing people. It's not seeing souls saved. We are as cold and as stagnant and as emotionless about religion and a relationship with Christ as anything that I can imagine. We are as cold as Sodom and Gomorrah in our viewpoint on sin. We are dying. We don't have real Christianity. So tonight... I want to talk to you about real Christianity. You see, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch, but they were not first called Christians. Look at our passage in verse 26. The Bible says, there towards the end, And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Here's the problem. We skipped a step. You see, there were no Christians unless they were disciples. It was like the moment we entered a church and we signed up a membership card, it was almost like we were validated and almost valeted into this thing of Christianity. But Christianity was step number two. Step number one was discipleship. And if you'll recall... The disciples did not look very Christian in the early stages of Christ's ministry. 
They were always messing up. They were always showing their lack of faith. They were always showing their failure as men and their flaws as people. And yet they were not yet Christian. They were becoming disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And my genuine fear tonight is that we jumped over a step and we became Christians, but we're still not disciples. And we have a label, but we have no love. We have been signed and assigned a name, but we really don't know the Savior for who which we are labeled with. Christian, the word literally dissected, means little Christ. In other words, you are to be a Christ follower, someone who loves Christ, not o- someone that not only believes in Christ, but believes everything Christ wants you to believe and is trying to become everything Christ wants you to become. But I don't see that in our Christianity. We're counterfeit. We're not real. Real Christianity is defined in Easton's 1897 Bible Dictionary. A disciple of Christ is one who, number one, believes his doctrine. Number two, rests on his sacrifice. Number three, imbibes or absorbs his spirit. And number four, imitates his example. You see, becoming a disciple is much more than just being a pupil. For a pupil has their own ideas. A pupil has their own technique and their own desires. That's why a, uh, uh, someone who was a pupil of Picasso or a pu- pupil of uh, any of the great painters or, or sculptors of our time or even times gone by, that's why their works don't look exactly like the works of their master is because they were simply a pupil. We're not pupils. We are disciples. We are to become exactly like the one who is our master. Well, there's a big difference there. But we, in some crazy scheme in our own mind, thought it was okay to be a pupil where we reserved our own technique, we reserved our own desires, we reserved our own wants, dreams, hopes, and aspirations. But my friend, we were never called to be a pupil. We were called to be disciples. Such a shame. Because what we have done is we have watered down what is so perfectly pure. You ever left ice in a drink? Come back hours later to only find that drink tastes nothing like what its original state was? It doesn't taste better, it tastes worse. You know what we've done? We've left it out too long. We're iced over. And we're watered down, and we taste, look, feel nothing like the original. When I was in college, um, I would go, and me and Amy would hang out pretty much every night, except the other night she was surveying the market for better meat. (laughs) Yeah. And so uh, we would always go out, and we would uh, pretty much date every evening, and we would do our homework together. She would help me study my Greek cards, and so I know what logos means, and ecclesia, and that's about it. So great study partner she was. But um, one thing that drove Amy absolutely nuts is every single day, I would come out of my dorm with a two liter of Dr. Thunder in my hand. Now, I did not have a cup. I had a two liter of Dr. Thunder. 
And my goal every day was from the time that school let out to the time that I laid down at night to have that complete two-liter drunk. Now you say, Brother Andrew, we know that you like Dr. Pepper. That's, that's your dream. Yeah, you're right. And every day, seven days a week, you ask her. I'm not lying. Seven days a week, I drink a two-liter of Dr. Thunder. You say, why didn't you drink the real stuff? It's too expensive. Seven days a week at $2 in California, plus they charge you this bottle fee for like 10 cents, and I, I couldn't do it. So you know what I did? 88 cents a day had me two liters of Dr. Thunder, and I drank it every single day. But it did not taste as good. But I wasn't really looking for good. I was looking for filling. I was looking for as cheap as I can get out, but tr still trying to maintain some level of flavor. I had settled for cheap knockoff. I had settled because it was cheaper and more convenient. You know what we've done? Settled for cheaper and more convenient. We don't have what Christ wanted to give us. We have salvation and that's about it. Look, I'm not trying to be, I hope this is not coming across as arrogant. I hope, if anything, it's coming across as compassionate. As trying to remove blinders. Hey, look, America's not right, and guess where we live? And you want to see if you're the Christian you ought to be? Ask your neighbors. Is your, is your neighborhood being impacted by who you were? I, I just believe that if Jesus lived in the house you're living in, the street might be a little different than it is now. But what Christ's desire was for his disciples to have the same impact that Christ had on every area that you live, my friends, we are not okay. Be real. Get real. We're not real. I'm concerned. But discipleship comes before Christianity. It always has, always will. So I want to teach you tonight what, Christ, what discipleship is. But I'll first start out by showing you what discipleship isn't. Take your Bible to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14 has some amazing words for us to consider tonight, especially regarding the topic of discipleship. Verse number 25, I want you to notice in Luke chapter 14, please, please pay attention. The Bible says, and there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them. Now, let's be very clear to who he's speaking to. Not the disciples. Because there's a great multitude, and he turns and speaks to them. The disciples were by every meal he sat at. The disciples were around every campfire he was at. They saw every miracle. And so regarding this topic of discipleship, he is not talking to the disciples. He's talking to a multitude. Now notice in verse 26. Discipleship is not, If any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and his wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also... He cannot be my disciple. I want you to notice, first of all, discipleship isn't loving people more than God. 
A parallel passage to this is Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. You don't have to flip there. But essentially what the Bible says there is, if you love these people more than me, you cannot be my disciple. The Lord does not want us to hate. I don't believe that. I believe God wants us to reflect his characteristics, his personality traits. So God is true, so he does not want us to lie. God is good, so he does not want us to be bad. God is love, so he does not want us to hate. So as God's saying here, and Christ is saying here, if any man doesn't hate your brother, and if any man doesn't hate your, your uh, uh, sister, or, he's not saying hate them. He's saying comparatively, you must love me above everything else. But people sidetrack us. It's amazing as youth pastor how many times I get to see teenagers who are red hot and on fire for God get distracted by the opposite gender. I mean, I'm not afraid to say this, but sometimes it's just overwhelming to them that somebody else of another gender would be interested in them. And we've all been teenagers, have we not? Well, some of you have. Most of you have. We've all been there. We know what it's like to, to finally hear back that somebody likes you back. You remember the old, the old notes that you'd pass? I remember passing these. If you like me, check yes. If you, like, if you don't like me, check no. But I would suggest you do because I have a lot of money and am relatively good looking and a great personality. P.S. all that. So y'all remember that note, right? You'd pass that. I remember sometimes I would hear through the grapevine. I wouldn't even be, I'd be like, ah, way out of my league. No way I could even... No way. And then hearing through the grapevine, she likes me. <laughs> well, does she does? Y'all remember what that's like? But I'm sure you've even seen it in your core group of friends or in the relationships that you have. Somebody who gets turned head over heels and totally starts walking a different path because somebody is interested in them. And we throw that on the teenagers a lot, but it's very easy for people to sidetrack us. Hey, look, I thought I knew what love was until I saw my daughter. And I am sorry for anybody that visited the hospital that day because I was like bragging on her like this was the first birth to ever take place. Like, I don't think mine came out like yours because mine was different. <laughs> Mine was amazing. I, the doctor had to chisel the gold covering, the gold plating off of my daughter. It was amazing. They couldn't even spank her because the gold plating was too thick, so they had to chisel it out and then spank her, and then she began to cry. Man, I, I know, looking back, like that day, I, I thought I had every reason to be like that. Looking back, I realized every person that came, man, she was perfect. I, and I just, I, honestly, to the point of, laughter, I was so enamored with my daughter at that point. I was like, she's the most beautiful baby I've ever seen. I've seen a lot of babies. A lot of them are ugly. Some of them are okay. Mine is amazing. <laughs> you, I'm sure you were the same way. Maybe you were like, mine's ugly. Well, just be thankful you had one. <laughs> I remember looking at Caitlin, and I can't even describe it. It was like... And man, even then, I would not have assigned it the definition of love. But I'm looking at my daughter, and I'm like, I'm a dad. And I can't even believe I'm a dad. I'm still really young. I mean, this almost seems surreal. Who faked this baby and my wife? This is not happening. There's no way I'm a father, especially not of perfection. 
I was so enamored. And, you know, I was always in denial about, you know, how your kids are your favorite. I was like, I ain't be that parent. That's annoying. I can't stand when parents are like, my kid ain't done nothing wrong. Your kid's the devil. I can't stand that. And I see that a lot as youth director. Not from you, obviously, if your child's in the youth department. Other people who hit on your perfect child or make fun of your perfect child or do stupid stuff to your perfect child. I'm not talking about your child. I'm talking about everybody else's child. Yours is perfect. They're, the others aren't. But I'll be honest with you. I can see how my daughter will never make a mistake in a public arena. The other day, she fell down the stairs by herself, and I was like, stupid gravity! What are you doing? Give her a break. She's too beautiful for you to be messing with her perfect face. Yeah, I could see how somebody would be like that. But I also can see how somebody would begin to do things for their children and idolize them over a relationship with God. And Christ was very aware of the love that a father has for his son or his daughter because remember what? He was his father's son. Look, I know it's hard to say, no, we can't do that because uh, we have to go to church. No, we can't go there because church is more important. No, you can't fake sick to me because church is more important. No, you've been... I told a girl this morning, she came up to me for the third straight week. I'm not feeling good. I walk in the room, she says, hi, Brother Andrew. And then she says, I'm not feeling good. And I'm like, man, that happened quick. I looked at her and said, this is the third week in a row. You've said that you weren't feeling good. And I bet the next thing you're going to ask me is if you can call your mom. She says, well, can I? Look, let's be honest. Your kids aren't perfect. Neither is your wife. And wife, you'd be the first one to say, neither is your husband. People were never to take the place of God. God did not put people in your life so that you can make a golden calf out of them. God wants you as a man, as a woman, as a child to put him first in your life and everybody else behind him. Hey, I know it's not easy. I have a perfect daughter. I know it's not easy. But you've got to realize, discipleship is not loving people more than it is loving God. That's why Christ said these words, If any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and his wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and even his own life. You see, I think that was the crux of the matter. We get hung up on the, oh, I could hate my wife. I only loathe her at certain times. We get hung up on that part, but in reality, I think Christ was working his way to the biggie. And yes, gentlemen, and yes, even his own life also. If discipleship was not loving people more than it was loving God, I promise you loving yourself was never to take the place of God either. Well, that's pretty tough. It's funny how often we prioritize our desires over what God has for us. We plan a vacation, and it's almost like intentionally we give ourselves a break from church. If you plan a vacation out seven months in advance, don't you think you might be able to go 
Monday through Saturday? Well, the rates are higher, Brother Andrew. Well, what's it going to cost when uh, God ain't your God no more? Look, I'm not trying to be cruel. I'm trying to say what we have is not real. What we have is not real. And discipleship was never loving people more than it was loving God. Secondly, it was never loving peace more than it was loving God. Look in verse 27. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You know, I don't think in Luke chapter 14 the disciples knew what that meant. You know, they knew what a cross was. And they knew what carrying a cross was, but I don't think until the last part when Jesus Christ carried his own cross and died on his own cross that he carried, I don't think they knew what that meant. But I think at that moment when they realized what Christ had done for them, they said, man, this whole carrying our own cross is a lot different than what we thought. And maybe even they said, that's a lot more than we bargained for. I'll tell you one thing, I bet Peter wished he'd have been there to carry Christ's cross. You ever thought about that? They had to pull a stranger out of the crowd. And these men spent every day with Christ. Peter's over there warming himself by a fire. I bet if you could do, give P- Peter a time machine, one of the things he'd do is go back and he wouldn't say, he wouldn't deny Christ, but secondly, he'd have been the first person to stand in line to carry that cross for him. I just believe that we are so enamored with seeking a peaceful life, there's no way we could ever, ever take upon ourselves our own cross. You know what? Crosses were never meant to be peaceful. Crosses were torture instruments. They were things upon which men bled and died. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know if there's another more painful death in the world than what Christ endured. Emotionally, physically, spiritually, all the above, Christ went through the gamut that nobody else has ever been through. And so when Christ says, carry your cross, he's saying, you may have to face things in your life that are not peaceful, that are not convenient. But what I want you to do is buck up, and I want you to strap you on your boots, and I want you to walk the road that I've called you to walk. And I want you to tote the line that I've called you to tote. I want you to carry the cross I've called you to bear. We don't have that. We're, we're not real. We're not real. I read a story the other day about a pastor who had just gone through a building project, and He was so excited about everything that his church had sacrificed for and everything that his church had built. They had bought a really high quality of pew and carpet, and he thought that it was just the most beautiful building that had ever been built. He invited another pastor up to come eat lunch with him, and obviously before they went out to lunch, they walked around the premises, and the pastor, almost with a sense of pride, looked at the other pastor and said, these pews were imported. We bought these at a pretty fair but expensive rate. He walked through and showed him the baptistry and says, see, this is the new, nicest baptistry. It heats within 10 minutes. It's the best money can buy. He walked out and the, the sun was beginning to set and dawn was upon them and a, a bright spotlight shone on the steeple of the church and upon the very top of the steeple was a cross. And that pastor almost with a sense of pride said, Preacher, that right there is one of the highest steeples money can buy. That steeple alone cost this church $10,000. 
The other pastor looked at him and said, that's a shame because crosses have cost Christians nothing over all these years. But we're just not willing to carry them. Look, Christ never promised comfort. He never promised a convenient, easy life. I don't know about you, but I don't buy into a prosperity gospel. I don't think it's going to be easy. I don't think it's going to look easy. I don't think we're going to walk easy. I think it's going to be hard. I don't know. I read promises like, if the world hated me, it's going to hate you. Why would you think that you'd be any different than the master? If the world hates the master, it's going to hate the servant, right? Why would we begin to believe that this course that we're called to walk should be without health issues? That we would believe that this course that we're called to walk would be without some friends who would say, if you're going to be a Jesus freak, I want no part of that. Well, if you're not going to go to a bar with me on Friday night, I just don't know if we can be friends. I wonder if every once in a while Christ knew that our journey would not be easy emotionally and spiritually and physically. I just wonder if when Jesus said, I want you to carry one of the most painful instruments of all time, although we glorify it, although we beautify it, a cross was never meant to be beautiful. It was meant to be hard. I just wonder when Christ said, carry your own cross, if he wasn't concerned with Christians who were more worried about a life of peace than a life of obedience. We ain't real. Let me ask you, what cross are you carrying? Do people know you as someone who continuously and incessantly talks about Christ? Or do people know about you that know about you, you're the guy that occasionally slips and says a cuss word. You're the lady who can't stop gossiping about other people at the workplace. We're not carrying crosses. We're burning bridges. People look at us in our Christianity, we're a joke. And maybe, just maybe you don't say the cuss word, but inwardly, you're corrupt. You know every command, you know every jot and tittle of the law, very similar to the Pharisees. You know everything there is to know about a life of obedience to Christ. But guess what? You're not doing it. What we have isn't real. Hey, look, disciples were never perfect. Look at Peter. Look at John. They were never perfect. But I'll tell you one thing. They weren't afraid to carry their cross at the end of their life. It was never loving peace more than loving God. Thirdly, I want you to notice this. Loving pleasures more than loving God. It was never that. Look at verse 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. So discipleship is not loving things more than it is loving Jesus. I tell you what, we are in a blessed society, man. We have everything. We, we can go down the road and just about every single one of us can go to any restaurant in town regardless of the price. And we can buy the most expensive thing they have on the menu and probably complain about it when we get it. We are so fortunate and blessed. Most of us have good work. I mean, I have to work with a slave driver, but most of us have good work. Materially, we are not doing without anything that we need. And for the most part, we have a lot of stuff that we don't need and just flat out want. 
But what if Christ, like the rich young ruler, asked you to sell everything you have? Would you be willing? It's amazing to me how, how little people are willing to sell out for God. For Judas, it was 30 pieces of silver. For you, it's 10%. better than Judas. What is it that you are not willing to give up for a perfect relationship with Christ? For some of you, it's a sin that you've been hoarding for years and years and years and nobody else knows about it. Not even your wife knows about this problem you have. I just don't think what we have is real. I'm trying to be honest tonight. I'm concerned with the direction of not only Christianity in general, I'm concerned with the direction of us. Hey, did you know you can't spell revival without the word real? We're not going to experience real revival until we get really right with a real God. I'm so scared. I'm not loving pleasures more than loving God. Martin Luther said, A religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. Did you know that all 11 of the disciples faced some type of terrible punishment or death. Peter requested to be crucified upside down. Andrew took the gospel to the land of the meat eaters, which is modern day Russia, and is said to have been crucified. Thomas, that's the same doubting Thomas, he is said to have died when four soldiers pierced him through with spears. Philip was arrested, tortured, and put to death. Matthew, the text tax collector, by tradition, most believe that he was stabbed to death. Bartholomew, he was a martyr. Thaddeus was martyred and buried in what is now Iran. James, Josephus recorded that he was stoned and then clubbed to death. Simon the Zealot was killed after refusing to worship the sun god. Matthias went to Syria and Andrew was uh, with Andrew and was buried and put to de- burned and put to death. John was the only one of the disciples to not be killed. He did die at a, uh, because of old age. However, John was at one point in his life cast into boiling oil. Paul, now he was not one of the disciples, but I believe you can give me liberty to say that he was a disciple. Paul died by decapitation. Would you say those men left all and gave all? Hey, there's some amazing stories, modern day. I, I recall the story of Cassie Bernal. And I've read that story so many different times. There's a few different answers and questions that people think she gave, but I'll give it to you like this. Cassie Bernal is hiding under a desk for somebody's broken into her high school because they're shooting people for no reason. They come into Cassie Bernal and they look her straight in the face and they say, You're one of those Christians. You believe in God now, and she's looking down the barrel of a gun. Before she completely utters the word yes, they shoot her and kill her right on the spot. There's some amazing stories like that. Cassie Bernal was a disciple. Let me ask you, if it was you looking down the barrel of a gun, would you be a disciple? If any man has not left all and gave all, he cannot be a disciple of Christ. Hey, look, I'll have the nights where I say the funny stories. I'll have the nights where we laugh and we go home unaffected. But I'm afraid to say, those aren't working. So I hope 
that a sermon that I've prepared and I've prayed over and I, I just have the highest hopes for. I hope there will be at least one person in here tonight that say, Brother Andrew, what I've been doing isn't real. And even if it's a teenager, my goodness, would I love to see a teenager get real. We aren't real. I've seen what discipleship isn't. I'll show you what discipleship is. Take your Bible to John chapter 8. Discipleship isn't loving people more than God. It isn't loving peace more than God. And it isn't loving pleasures more than God. So what is discipleship? John chapter 8 verse 31 says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. So what is it? Being a disciple is simply this, knowing God's word and doing God's word. Anything that Jesus said was wrong, don't do that. Anything that Jesus said was right, do that with your whole heart. Anything that you know is good and wholesome and profitable, anything that is edifying, you get on that as hard as you can get on that and you ride it to death. Anything that's sinful, wicked, idolatrous, anything that is filthy, you get away from that. You shun it. You flee from it as fast as you can and as far away as you can. That's a disciple. Psalm chapter 119 verse 10 says, With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Everything the psalmist had, everything he was, everything he desired and hoped for, he said, God, with everything that is in me, I seek you, so I will keep your commandments. Job put it like this, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. It's amazing how we can talk about food. I don't believe it's funny. My family was gathered right down here this morning after the service. Sorry about that, Brother Luke. I'm sure you wanted to get home to your family. But we're huddled around talking about stuff. And we're, we're talking about Dave. And if he had broke a tooth, he'd look as white trash as any person in the world, you know, having a good old time. Uh, Dave's just a funny, funny guy. And uh, somehow we got on food. And it was like, oh, I love that place. Dave loves Papados. And, uh, and Dave was like, yeah, I like this Papados. I said, man, I had Papacitos the other day for the very first time. That was some good food. He said, yeah, it's good food, but if I want to eat something that expensive, I'll go to Papados. We began talking about Ruth's Chris. And he said, oh, them steaks are good. Them steaks are as good as they get, man. Dave said, oh, I go down to Del Frisco's. Whoo, man, Del Frisco's makes good steaks. I've been there one time. I got some ad. They give you the little bitty glasses. They're good about filling them up, but they're about three ounces. So the whole time I take a swig, and waiter, I got my black tie on. Waiter, I belong here. Waiter, I'm not the help. Waiter. Talked about the Riata. Whoo, man, I like the Riata. I'm not one of those black tie kind of people. I don't like dressing up. I like my blue jeans. I like throwing on a nice cowboy shirt that I bought from Walmart for $15 with pearl snaps. Genuine pearl. And I like throwing on my cowboy boots, and I'll go there to the Riata. I'll say, "Give me the biggest steak you got, and I want you to, I want you to throw that thing on the grill and count to two. 
And then I want you to cook it for seven more minutes. <laughs> i got to be a cowboy, right? We talked about all this food. I have a friend. This is the way he describes every dish he's ever eaten, whether it cost him $2 or $200. He says, oh, I went to that place. Oh, my God. Oh, man. You would not believe. Oh, man. That's how he describes every dish he's ever eaten. I went to CeCe's Pizza. Oh, my. CeCe's uses the board for their, for their crust. They use the box for their crust. Oh, it's amazing how we talk about food. You know what Job said? I want to hear from my God so much more than I want my next meal. And if I have to skip my next meal to find out what he says, guess what? I'd be willing to do that. We're not real. We're, we're just so inundated with luxuries and pleasures. Christ says, man, if you love me, keep my commandments. The Bible says my commandments are not grievous. They're not hard. I'm not asking of you anything that I'm not willing to empower you to do. Man, just love me. Then you'll be my disciple. Discipleship is keeping God's word with your whole heart. But you know what you have to do to keep his word? You have to know his word. We often say, oh, prayer is the most neglected thing in a Christian's life. But that's assuming you read your Bible. <laughs> because actually, I'd say you pray three times a day, over breakfast, over lunch, and over dinner. <laughs> but we don't ever open our Bible. In order to do God's Word, what do you have to do? Read God's Word. Know God's Word. You know, there's some beautiful things in God's Word. The most beautiful poetry was not written by some man. It was written by God himself. Words that will make your mind blow. I'm talking about prophetical things. I'm talking about divine things. I'm talking about supernatural things speaking to a finite mind. I'm talking about an infinite God putting all of his wisdom and all of his knowledge and everything he wanted us to know. He wrapped it in this book right here and gave it to us. We get up in the morning, we say, oh, I'll grab me a Pop-Tart, I'll grab me a Dr. Pepper, and I'll head off to work and never look at it. I'm not a morning person. It's easy to go to bed without looking at my Bible. Easy. We even get emails. And the only reason we open the email is to get it to not say it's an email in our inbox. What a shame. I just believe somebody who is really trying to be a disciple. Look, I don't want to be called a Christian. I want to be called a disciple. I believe that someone who's a disciple, a true disciple, will study this book and know this book. The other day I had some Jehovah's Witness come to my door. And uh, I saw them before they ever entered. And before they ever knocked, I was sitting in my lazy boy there that my wife got me. I looked out to my left and I saw that I had two guys in black ties coming. So I either knew they were selling vacuums or some false gospel. And I get up from my chair and I go to that door and I open it and they go to, they missed my door because they were knocking at the simultaneous time that, that I opened it. And he went, it almost hit me in the face. I said, boy, you better, <laughs> don't make me, you know. I love Jesus too much for that, you know. And I looked at them and I said, boys, I'm a Baptist preacher. I don't much want you on my property. I said, well, yes, sir. I said, y'all have a good day now.
which I thought later, man, I shouldn't have said that last part. <laughs> I'm not supposed to bit them Godspeed. And I done went and bit my tongue just for formality. You know, boys, y'all make sure y'all find somebody else and give your false doctrine to. I sat down in that chair right there, and I said, what if I had debated them? Could I have proved unequivocally, could I have showed them that what they believe is just a false lie, just the, the nastiest, most jumbled up men's deceit? Could I have showed them that? Let me ask you, could you? Man, we're called to be disciples. And I just believe after Christ died, Peter would have been the first one to stand up. Boys, let me tell you. Let me get you one thing straight here. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He paid for the sins of all the world. And by His death, burial, and resurrection, you can know you can have eternal life. For there is none other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. All power is given to Him in heaven and earth. Boys, if you don't trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today you're going to die and go to hell and spend eternity separated from God. I just believe Peter would have said that. You disciple, because discipleship is keeping God's word. Secondly, discipleship is found in verse 34 and 35. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committed sin is servant of sin, and the servant of, of abideth, not in the house forever, but the Son abideth forever. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I'm sorry, where am I at? John 13, 34? Let me see. Yeah, John 13, 34. I apologize. John 13, 34. I was still in chapter 8. I apologize. I was reading that, and I was like, this ain't getting my point. I'm going to have to make something up here on the spot for these people. Show them what true discipleship is. Show them what they believe. <laughs> no, no. John 13, verse 34, the Bible says, Little children, yet a little while I am with you, ye shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, Whither I go, ye cannot go. So now I, uh, so now I say to you, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. So discipleship is knowing God's word and keeping God's word. And he says, secondly, you know how people are going to know you're my disciple? By loving the brethren. Here's the problem with modern churches, and I don't want to label them. They love, they love humanitarian acts. And they love giving water, and they love giving food, and they love giving shelter. But at the end of the day, they don't love the person because they're not giving them what they most need. They need the gospel. You know what they love? They love feeling good about themselves. They love feeling good that they help somebody live another day, but they live another day without Christ. We are to love one another. The Bible says in Galatians chapter four, uh, 5, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. I talked to a friend yesterday, and I've had this friend for quite a long while. 
And he said, you know why I hate church? Because people there are fake. Broke my heart. Broke my heart. And in the back of my mind, I thought, is he talking about me? I've known this friend for years. I graduated with him. And I said, is he, is he talking about me? He said, I go there and people just sing songs and listen to preaching, but nobody ever cares about you. Nobody ever puts their arm around you to help you through real life stuff. That is discipleship 101. Loving the brethren. I hope with everything that is in you, if you have a quarrel with someone that's sitting across the auditorium, or if something has happened in your life that makes you not be, be able to get along, I hope with everything that is in you, you would say, if I'm a disciple, I need to fix that. How can I be a disciple if I can't fix problems with other disciples? I'm afraid we don't love people like we ought to. Thirdly, I want to show you this. Discipleship is found in John 15, verse number 1. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. We're almost done. John 15, verse number 1. I am. I love the way that starts right there. I don't know about your Bible, but my Bible has I a and M capitalized. You know why? Because this is the same I am that talked to Moses. And when Moses said, hey, who am I going to tell him sent me? Uh, the bush spoke back and responded and said, hey, you tell him I am sent you. So this is the I am speaking. I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, and that, that it may bring forth more fruit. Well, sometimes purging isn't quite comfortable. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. So what was number one of being a disciple? Knowing God's word and doing God's word. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my, what's the next word? Disciple. Now, I'm going to ask you a theology question, okay? These are the ones that intimidated me when I was in college. The professor looked at me and said, I'm going to ask you a theology question. Well, can you ask me like a food question? Because I'm never good at the theology thing. You read that passage, what's the word that continuously sticks out? Abide. It is almost overused. Like maybe he's trying to get a point across. Abide in me, and I in you, for without me you can do nothing. If you abide in me, and I in you, 
Abide, 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 abide. I'm about to do your thing the other day. Dad. Abide, 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 abide. Abide, 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 abide. Remember what was that you were saying? <laughs> I was sitting there cracking up. I was like, this is working. It actually sounds awesome. That's what, that's what Christ said. Abide in me. Abide. Abide. Let me ask you. Are you abiding? What is abiding? Well, I would say, in my country boy vernacular, it's trusting in Christ and resting in Christ for everything. When the lady at Sonic asks you what, to, what you want to eat, you say, God, what sounds good today? When the banker says, are you sure you want to take out this loan? You say, God, is this what you have for my family? When the boss calls you up and says, I've got a new job offer for you. It's in Illinois, but you're going to be making $37 an hour. You say, God, is it really worth me moving up there? God, am I being the type of father I need to be? God, can you help me become what you want me to be? God, if I miss something in your word, God, show me what I'm missing. God, help me get through this life. God, do something mighty in me. God, help me witness to my neighbor. God, help me to be an evangelist. God, help me to be a disciple. It's almost like the psalmist says, search me, O oh God. Try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. God, am I living right? God, am I being the type of testimony you want me to be? God, I want to be everything that I can be for you. And though I'm limited, and though I fail, and though I am not perfect by any stretch, God, am I becoming what you would have me to be? That's abiding. Are you? I don't know. I would say 13% of Americans are not. So much easier to check that little box on the uh, Facebook than it is to actually live it out, isn't it? It's amazing how much I, I don't get on any of the social media. And to be very honest, this is why I did. I, I could not handle my heart being broken anymore. Too many people that I love and care about and I consider friends and brethren. Too many people were doing things and saying things and putting on things. It broke my heart every day, and I'd sit there in my truck, driving down the road, and say, I don't know why they put that on there. Did they not understand that I was going to see that? Did they not? I mean, it was them that, that allowed me to see it. And I drove down the road more times than not after every time I got on that stinking devil's tool, I drove down the road heartbroken. Well, it's a lot easier to check a box than it is to live it out, isn't it? Today I was looking up some specs on bulldozers. Me and Dad are wanting a bulldozer, so if you have one real cheap, you go ahead and donate that. There, threw that in there, Dad. So if you want a car wash, I'm the guy to see. If you want to give a dozer away, Dad's the guy to see. <laughs> well, if you want to give it away, you can come see me. If you're going to charge a small amount, go see Dad. 
I was looking up some of the amazing machinery that these companies make. Have you ever seen one of those just enormous bulldozers? They're so big they look like they can pull China. They just just pull it straight out of, just disconnect it from everything else, right down the red line, you know? Just pull it off. They look like that. I looked at one that Cat makes. It is 109,705 pounds. That is an animal of a machine. This thing was so big, I thought about putting a picture up on the screens, but then I realized the screen couldn't hold it. Come on now. These machines are so amazing. They, one of them has a 217-gallon tank on it. Now, this really didn't sound like that much uh, to me, but I know it is a lot for the type of work that it does. It has 436 horsepower. The length of the tracks alone, so just like the wheelbase of this thing, is nearly 12 feet long. This thing is so absolutely outrageously big. It can do work that you couldn't even imagine. We've had smaller dozers come over to my house and come over, and I've seen them work before. They can clear entire lots in an hour's time. It's amazing. Trees that have been growing for years and years and years, gone like that because that dozer is so powerful. It's like it doesn't even stop the dozer at all. Y'all ever seen that? Entire buildings just crumble when a dozer hit them. That's pretty amazing. Out of all the things that it can accomplish, you know what it can't do? Run without fuel. All the power in the world can't move a muscle. Can't roll a foot. 109,000 pounds of paperweight. But with fuel... It can accomplish a lot of things. Here's the thing I'm worried about, is I think we're running without fuel. We've got power to access, man, right at our fingertips. Real revival. I'm talking about Holy Ghost power. I'm talking about moving mountains power. Hey, man, I believe this without a shadow of a doubt. Tonight, Brother Ryan and Miss Lauren Ashcraft are sitting under a volcano, and I just believe if there was enough people in this room right with God and willing to do whatever they could to see this happen and pray with a little bit of faith, God would put a cork in that stinking volcano. Because that's my God. But with all the power in the world, you know what we've done? We've siphoned the fuel out of it. Our own priorities, our own desires, our own wants, our own hopes, our own dreams, our own aspirations. And God looks at us and says, man, you don't even know what you could become. You don't even know what dreams and hopes I have for you. And yet you've taken it and drained it. You're a disciple. Because I, to be honest with you, don't want to be called a Christian. Too many people are Christians. There are not enough disciples. 